Welcome to Two Takes on the Pod. My name is Osai, and this is my podcast where I take on themes exploring culture, society, and the experiences of Africans in diaspora. On this episode, I discuss black tax. What does that really mean? And what does it look like for not just people of color, but immigrants as well? Today, I have Za, a personal finance journalist, join us to discuss these issues. We discuss why she feels it's important, um, her unique way of looking at it, the importance of communication, setting boundaries around your finances, and some of the key lessons she took away from um, overcoming a significant amount of school debt. All in all, it's a really interesting conversation. Very, very honest. And without any further ado, let's get into it. Enjoy the show. So, thank you for joining me today. Um, so, I'm going to get right into it. We've had a little preamble before the mic caught on anyway. Um, I'm curious how exactly you got into personal finance journalism. Yeah, so I was in university studying journalism. It's something that I always wanted to do. I just had no real idea what I would specialize in. At first, I thought maybe music because I loved music. I still do. Um, and then the more I you know, pursued my studies, I specialized in business journalism. And when I was in that course, we had a little segment on personal finance I had never heard about it before, even though I'd been practicing personal finance since I was 18. Because when I came to the country, to Canada, I was financially independent. So I had to get a job um, from about second year to pay for my rent or other expenses. And in my fourth year in that class, the professor gave us a quiz on personal finance in Canada. And I came last in that quiz. And the wow. the joke is that the professor gave um, the prize to the person in last place, not first place. So I won a book called The Wealthy Barber, which is like a basically a personal finance standard in Canada. Mm. It's a very famous book. So me being the curious journalist that I am, I decided that I was going to learn everything about personal finance, not necessarily to help my finances. At the time, it was just like, oh, well, I don't want to ever be in that position where I'm last. And that's where it started. I started tweeting about it. I started following people that were in the personal finance industry and once I graduated from university, I started facing financial challenges because I was laid off from my job and I was basically depressed, to be honest with you, because I was looking for a job in my field. I couldn't find one. And I just started sharing that information online. And a lot of people used to reach out to me like, wow, thank you for saying this. Thank you for sharing this. And I just started leaning into that and I started sharing on my Instagram um, actually two years ago sharing my personal finance journey and through that I started freelancing writing about personal finance and from there I decided to pursue it as a career and I applied for a job as a personal finance writer and I got it and here I am today. Oh, that's awesome. So it really just occurred naturally for you. You know, I remember back in the day where we used to have a bunch of conversations. And like you said, we're very open about your experiences. And this is even back in the university days. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think it's interesting that, you know, you basically nurtured that love or that interest 
you know, I'm actually surprised you 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 came in last in the class because I think <laughs> even back then you had you had a whole bunch of tips and strategies you were using to like make things work. So so that that's that's interesting. The thing about it is, I think like with personal finance, right? There's financial literacy, right? And people always talk about, oh, we're not financially literate as we should be, but you are actually financially literate because you you spend money, you earn money, like you have interactions with money every day. So the me that was there in 2012, I didn't know what an RRSP was, but I knew how to track my spending and to pay my bills, right? So right. those tips that I was giving at the time, like I had no idea that was personal finance. Like <laughs> I, to me, it was like, yeah, I got to hustle to survive. And I'm in this position, which is a lot different to the people that I knew at the time. So it was just me talking about like my life. You know what I mean? Now it's like, oh, wow, that's how I get inspiration for like stories and stuff. It's things that happen to me kind of on a daily basis or things that I see or the interactions that I I notice that people have with money is what I like to write about. Right, which I think is key, right? Because, um, I mean, how else can you directly hit people where they need to hear it? Because um, I know when you were having this conversation, it's like, that's exactly what happened. I, I I was picking up on certain things and, you know, challenges that I was going through for myself. And I mm-hmm. thought those were uh, always really useful. And now you talk about the things that you're seeing. Now, obviously, you're, uh, you're Black. Um, you're from Africa, just like me. And uh, we were international students and it was a whole transition. Right. And one of the things that people talk about a lot in, um, especially in Canada, is this, and not just Canada, it's really all over the world, but let's, let's just say North America. <laughs> um, yeah. The idea of the black tax, you know, the fact that, you know, just because of the color of your skin, maybe institutional racism, among many other things, um, uh, or, you know, when the pay gap between the genders as well, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, that all ends up, you know, essentially costing black people more money or there is evidence to show that you know we're not able to retain as much uh, or even if we do retain it's a much smaller percentage than some of our other counterparts right so can you tie that into maybe what your experiences were how did you see the black tax maybe not just in your life but based on your observations you know from the people around you right so black tax it's it is an institutional problem as much as it is something that on a personal level i've dealt with and many other people i know deal with you know i think mm-hmm. like the definition is that you know black professionals or people of color were faced with that reality that a significant portion of our paycheck it supports parents our siblings, other relatives, basically dependents, right? Um, it, it implies that white professionals don't have that same level of responsibility. And the thing is, I think it's quite an emotional conversation because for me, I would not be here without black tax. Like my siblings and my family helped me to get to the place that I am right now. And even though I had to work throughout my university, there were still other areas that people were helping me to pay tuition. I'm an international student, right? So you're paying 20,000 grand plus. So I would never have made enough working part-time at the Bay to pay off all the bills that I had, right? So I think now the conversation is that does black tax hold us back from really attaining financial freedom? Because as international students, you're expected to stay here, you're expected to work and to make money to not only pay your own bills, but sometimes in some families, you're expected to pay other people's bills as well. So it raises a lot of emotions. I think it's easy to say, okay, spend within your means, like don't be sending your whole paycheck back home, you know, but it's not that easy, especially because I know in our community, we don't really talk about money, like period. 
like you don't know how much your parents make or even siblings or you don't talk about you know responsibilities that you have because it's taboo and I think for me I just find that like kind of counterproductive I think you have to have those conversations in order to be able to help like for me even though I do have to help out in certain areas I'm more than happy to have a conversation to say this is how much I can do this month and that communication is appreciated on both sides and I think as much as it's uncomfortable you will definitely start to see a little bit of progress in your relationships if you're able to talk about money and establish certain boundaries, you know, because Mm. if you don't treat it like a bill, you'll end up either overspending or like resenting that situation. And that's not Mm. a good thing at all. And it's just something that I know a lot of people are facing at the moment because like you said, there is gender pay gap. There is also the racial pay gap. So we're making significantly less than our white counterparts. And then we're still expected to pay bills, you know, put aside for saving, put aside for investing, put Mm -hmm. aside money to send back home. So what does that leave for you? It's, it's, it's like a really large conversation that I'm glad that we're having. And maybe I'll put the question to you, like what how do you go about having conversations with people about money? Is that something that's still taboo in your culture or amongst your peers? Yeah, I mean, um, I try to be open with it as much as I can. But, you know, yeah, there's definitely, I feel like, always a concern of, am I doing this as well as I should be? You know, like if someone's, t- so I'll give you a perfect example, right? When, you know, people are talking about crypto, and everybody seems to know the different crypto coins and everything that everybody is, you know, these people are investing in. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm not really up on game like that. You know, I don't know exactly which ones to go with, you know, right now, you know, I mean, not right now it's kind of down. But when it was, you know, at this time it was like a bull market. So I was like, man, I missed the train ride or the ride. Right. How do I anticipate or catch it early? You know, and you're, you're, so for me anyway, I've tried to be open about it. I've tried to discuss with friends and be open about how much I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest taboo because everybody tries to, a lot of people, I won't say everybody, but a lot of people, uh, especially in my community and my family to some extent, try to act like they have everything all figured out, you know, and sometimes you don't, but, and it doesn't give you opportunity to get help. Right. So one of the things I'll try to do is just be open about maybe where I'm at, some of the challenges I'm going through um, and try to get ideas or soak up ideas from different people. And that what you learn is that everybody's doing it their own different way and you still have to figure out your way. But I think sharing that information um, with your people, with your community, with your family uh, really does help not only establish um a clear understanding of where everybody is to some extent, but I think it also it helps you enforce those boundaries a little bit better. You know, if if someone tells you or someone like that's closely tells you, hey, this is going on and I'm having these challenges, you'll probably understand that, okay, maybe if I wanted help this week, you know, for sibling or whoever, if they want to help this week, it might be a little different compared to maybe a few weeks from now or a few months from now. So uh, it's still very taboo. I know it's still something I'm personally working through, but, uh, you know, I do see the value in sharing and, and trying to be open. But I know the biggest challenge for me is coming off like I don't fully um, know. You know what I'm saying? Or right. sounding like, I guess, sounding like dumb about your personal finances, it, you know, if, if for lack of a better word. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at with it. That's why I think this is important, right? Because. I want somebody who, uh, you know, is uh, black and an immigrant like me who has actually taken the time to really invest in it. And because I know you, I know that it wasn't just for work. <laughs> you know, it's it's a real it's it's a real, you know, I think, passion for you. Right. And so 
it, it's like, you know, you've done the work and I feel like I could learn from you. I mean, I already follow your Instagram and look at some of the tips that you send out. So people should definitely follow you. I believe it's Zanos, right? Yes, Zanos. Zanos, yeah. And I'll all be in the show notes. But yeah, so I felt like that's why this conversation is important. Um, navigating the challenges of being black immigrant um, with that culture and maybe looking for some of the uh, the sweet spots or the opportunities that we can take advantage of. Right. I think, like you said, right, asking for help is not like a sign of weakness, right? Mm. It's something that actually I find to be one of my biggest strengths. Me talking about my finances has brought everything good in my life. Like there's nothing bad that has come from me being open about my financial situation. And when you feel bad about money, right? You have to ask yourself, whose shame is this? Like, why would me talking about not knowing anything about crypto make me feel dumb? Maybe it's the reaction that the other people have where sometimes they might seem like they know everything. But one thing about investing, like you said, it goes up and then it goes down. The truth is, like most people, they have their own ideas and their own values and their own systems that are pushing the way that they talk about personal finance. So it's really easy to get caught up and you don't want to end up in a situation where you're investing in something because your friend told you or because it's what's popping right now. Like, do you actually understand what that is. And if you don't, that's okay. That's fine. You're doing the work by asking questions, doing your own research and making sure that after everything, why are you investing in crypto? You have to ask yourself why, because you don't want to end up in a situation where you lose all your money because someone told you to make an investment. Like it's very much should be based on your own value systems. So for me, for example, I had not invested until this year. And a lot of people would ask me over the years, like, oh, like you're a personal finance um, expert. Like, why haven't you invested? And it's like, for me, I had to prioritize paying down my debt because it was so emotionally taxing for me to see these debts that I had to incur during school that, you know, have such a high interest rate for me, it was like, I need to get rid of these debts so that I can close that chapter and move forward. That doesn't necessarily mean that you can't invest when you have debt, but it definitely is counterproductive to have, you know, 20% interest on a credit card debt. And then I'm investing and I'm only going to see returns of about, the average is about 10% um, or maybe even lower than that when you invest in the stock market, Right. So for me, I had to make that decision for myself to say, I want to pay off my debt. And once I feel like I have a handle on that, I will now invest. But in the meantime, I was educating myself. I was doing the reading. I was following people who talk a lot about investment. And I, for a long time, I didn't get it. Honestly, it was not until I found someone who, (laughs) this is going to sound really crazy, but I'm found someone called the wall street trapper and (laughs) he talks about stocks from his perspective right he has an amazing story i encourage everyone to read up on it but because i am a huge fan of music especially trap music i just identified with him and the way that he talked about money like on his instagram he'll post like a for argument's sake a gucci sweater and then the gucci stock and say this is X amount of dollars and the stock is actually cheaper. So pick what you want to invest in. And when I started like understanding what he was trying to say, like his perspective, I finally understood what investing is. Before that, I didn't get it. I was reading. I was like consuming a lot of content but I honestly didn't understand until that moment. And now I can go back and read those other books or those other notes that I made and put my own perspective on it. And that's another thing when it comes to your personal finances, even like black tax debt, it doesn't matter what 
you need to follow people who you almost like identify with or people who are speaking your language. Like not everyone is going to understand that you have responsibilities outside of those personal finance goals that people preach here. You know, they say save X amount um, in an emergency fund and then pay off your debt and then invest in real estate. And then, you know, it's kind of like a, an order, but (laughs) what about me who I have to consider the fact that I have high amounts of debt from my high exorbitant fees. And I have like, you know, I have family that I may have to help out or, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that we all have different responsibilities. So you don't feel bad about not, I guess, being good or bad at money. In my opinion, there's no such thing. And I think when we say things like, oh, I'm bad at money or I have bad money habits, it actually pushes you to keep following those same habits, right? When you right. have like You're manifesting neg- it. Exactly. When you have negative thought patterns, they become a reality. So for me, I have called myself an investor for the past two years, even though I hadn't invested a cent. It's because I was educating myself in the meantime. And I find that I finally found my rhythm for that. And now I'm confident and I'm working on building my confidence in other areas. But you will not catch me say something like, oh, I'm bad at money because I don't understand it. No, you just need to reframe that and the positive habits will come more naturally. negative things um i feel like with this idea of the black tax it implies that there are particular struggles that we have Mm -hmm. right um you know can you talk a little bit about that maybe if there is enough credence to that you know from your observations or from your research and you know i guess maybe we can get into how we can either debunk some of those uh those stereotypes or overcome some of those stereotypes right so i actually wrote an article about black tax you know whether it is a actually a barrier to building wealth or just another bill i think black tax has this negative connotation and it's not that way in a lot of circumstances like some people to them it's their responsibility right you get sent overseas to go to school. So that's just a return on investment to be sending that money back home. I think the problem comes when people don't plan for it. So like I said, you might have read somewhere that you need to buy a home for argument's sake, right? So for you, you're like, I have to buy a home. It doesn't matter what I do to do that, I'm going to buy the home. So you make those investments, but people are still calling you every month and asking you for a certain amount of money. And now you start either neglecting some of your own goals for that, or maybe you borrow for it. There's a lot of different ways to do it. But again, like I said, I think that that's counterproductive, right? Like you have to sit with your own finances and say to yourself, these are the things that are coming out of my account every month. It's a bill. Like, it doesn't matter if, you know, something happens, like you lose your job and all of that. Like, your bills are still going to come out of your account, especially if you have auto deposits. So it's one of those things where once you sit and confront those things, I find it's a lot easier. Like it won't necessarily feel like black tax because you, and I saw online people talking about this where they put their family kind of like on payroll, like, you know, they anticipate how much is going to come out and 
they don't expect it to come back and they feel good about paying it because again it's that return on investment for everything that they did for them it might not necessarily be the way that other people do it because we talk a lot about building generational wealth and how um, our counterparts set it up so that they don't have to do that but just bear in mind that they are hundreds of years ahead of us in terms of banking, building wealth. Um, I mean, you know how it goes with racism, right? It's mm-hmm. They have way more opportunities than we do. So they have been able to set up that their children and their children's children and their children's children will be set. We are still just trying to figure things out. So that's with other people of color too. Like the Filipino community in Canada, they come here to work and they send a significant amount of their money back home as well. So it's not isolated to just black people. Um, So there's a lot of people that experience that feeling of, I don't have enough money to invest or to save for myself because I have a responsibility to help people back home. So don't feel guilty about wanting to do better for yourself and take a handle of your own finances. It'll actually just improve the situation. Hmm. And so, you know, you said something that's interesting where, um, you know, sometimes it's really just about planning and understanding maybe what might be coming next. And that might be one of the biggest hurdles, but, you know, just based on everything you've said, what, you know, what does it mean then for, you know, for, I guess, let me not say black, but people of color, these people, people who have to, you know, who have these other responsibilities in a way that um, some of our, um, I guess, white counterparts don't, how, how, how would you, is it really just planning for it? not feeling guilty about it and just slowly building there because you are a hundred years behind or is there more that could be done in terms of approaching and you know catching up especially from a personal level you know yeah there's definitely more that could be done i think i think like i said that communication piece is also really important right because are you sending money for people to invest in their own dreams or are you sending money for people to just simply eat right like in my i know in 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 my country like zimbabwe right the financial the economy is is so bad that a lot of people that are in the diaspora are sending money for people to just simply like eat to be honest So that's really a tough spot to be in. Like, how do you say no to sending money home when you know that there's they they don't have any income? Like, you are their income. So that's a really tough spot to be in. So I want to be sensitive to that as well. Like, it's not always that you're sending money home for people to to splurge. Right. So. Right there's a lot of different situations and I think you just have to do the best that you can do for your situation, but definitely try to establish boundaries. If you do feel like you're in a position that you can't even invest in your own future, right? Like, something has got to give at some point. So that's why I'm saying communication is probably the most important thing. You shouldn't feel bad to say, hey guys, this month I'm not able to send as much because I'm doing X, Y, Z. I think it's fair to say that some family members will be upset about it, but at the same time, I think you'll feel a lot better just by simply communicating. Um, And on a big grand scheme of things, obviously, we're doing our best to build more wealth, to be able to afford to help more people, right? And I think general racial wealth is also community because if the more successful I am, the more I can help other people to, you know, be more successful as well. So investing is a huge part of 
kind of catching up on that huge racial wealth gap that is in North America. Because right now, I mean, inflation is at what, like 3.6? So if you're putting your money in a savings account, you're losing money. So we really need to learn how to invest and take advantage of that compound interest and do it in the safest way that will reflect your values, that will reflect your like risk tolerance based off of your personal goals. But at the end of the day, the more disposable income you have, the more that you can actually help out. So you have to put on your oxygen mask first before you try and help out. That's great. That's a, that's a great analogy because um, it's absolutely true. Um, I, and I think you're right. You know, when I, was, I was thinking about asking some more questions, but, you know, with just regard to that, but I feel like the communication, is, it just has to happen there because everybody's dynamic relationship dynamic is different, right? The demand and the, and the issues that, you know, everybody, like people are dealing with can only be spoken to their specific situation. So there isn't any perfect way to do, go about it, but it's, it, it really does feel like it has to be communication and it has to be and setting the boundaries through that mm-hmm. and you know and then basically iterating from there i want to go into the tips section i would say uh uh of the conversation so uh the first thing is you know just based on your understanding how do you approach setting financial goals? What are your key, uh, uh, I guess, what's your decision matrix around that? Yeah, so setting goals is super important to me. And I think it's really important in personal finance in general, because you need to have direction. You need to tell your money where to go. And it starts with, asking yourself your why. Why do you want to invest? Why do you want to save? Why do you want to spend money? Like ask yourself those questions. So for me, I love New Year's resolutions. I'm all about it. And really, even quarterly goals, weekly goals, like I'm that person that really enjoys setting goals because then you can have something to look back on as well as something to look forward to so for instance at the beginning of the year I will set three goals like a long-term one a short-term one and kind of like a medium-term goal and I will at the end of each month see where I'm at with each goal and sometimes the goals change so I think something with setting goals is to be flexible because things do happen along the way And personal finance is very just that, like it's personal, right? So something can happen, like you can get a new job that doubles your income and, you know, you have to reassess your goals at that point. Sometimes, unfortunately, you can lose your job. So you have to also adjust to that, right? So make realistic goals based off of your situation. Because I can't say right now, I want to make a million dollars. Like, what does that mean? You need to be specific. You need to be realistic. And you need to be flexible because anything can happen. So a big goal of mine this year was to pay off my high interest debt. And I thought I was going to pay it off all last year. But the pandemic happened and I didn't have an emergency fund. And that might seem like a shock to people because it's like, oh, you're a personal finance journalist. But I actually wrote about this too, where I also make mistakes. Like the people that you might see as experts also make mistakes. So I think it's important for me to share that because I didn't have an emergency fund. I had like what? I think it was like $2 in my savings account at the beginning of 2020. And I said to myself, okay, enough is enough. Set your goal. You want to save $3,000 by the end of the year. And I said, December 31st, 2020. And I did that. 
So because I had that goal to always look back on, anytime I sort of was, you know, maybe feeling like splurging or I had like just fatigue overall of like kind of being on this journey, I'd go back to my goals and be like, okay, this is how you can get back on track or this is what you need to do. And now that I've met those goals, I know that I can do it again. When I set an even more ambitious goal, I can say, okay, you did this, you can do it again. So it's almost like evidence, right? Because I think sometimes you set yourself back because um, you think, oh, how am I going to do this? Like, it's impossible. But having that evidence from your goals that you've met is super helpful. Yeah, it's kind of like a it's like a self fulfilling prophecy, right? So you have something to say, hey, I can do this, and you know I've done it before. You know I can do it again, exactly. as opposed to that feeling of, you know, I guess anxiety where you don't feel like you can ever cl- get over that hill. Which I I can imagine a lot anybody with um you know significant you know s- school debt probably has to has to carry in whatever way. Exactly. And that actually like anxiety is something that really has affected my finances, especially over the last, like since I graduated, because it is just so much uncertainty, right? Like you're looking for a job, maybe you're not in the job that you want. And then these bills are still flying out. Maybe you do have debt that has really high interest and like, or you just have really, really high bills. Like you live in the city. So your rent is expensive. Your car insurance is expensive. And it's just easy to be in that cycle of like paycheck to paycheck, right? So in order to break that, you really have to track your spending and ask yourself like, okay, everyone's going out to brunch tomorrow and I really want to go, but I have no money. Like I've literally been in that position where I was in overdraft for like two years and I kept spending, kept spending. I didn't want to deal with it. And it's just not practical. Like the anxiety that I lived with for so long, honestly, like I never want to be in that position ever again. So that's another reason why I have to talk about it because I know that there are other people in that same position as me. And Mm. I know what it feels like, like it sucks. But what I can say is now that I have broken those cycles, when I do spend or splurge or invest in things that may not necessarily be cheap, I don't feel guilty because I know I've done what I needed to do. So this is just me spending my money and it's bringing me joy. It's not like I'm going to go home and be like, oh my God, I've overdrawn myself or I've gone over my credit card it wasn't worth it. It's almost never worth it. So that guilt-free spending is something that I want for everyone. Mm. Mm. Okay. So, you know, we just talked about the whole student debt thing, right? And I'm curious, knowing what you know now, right? What would your advice for students be, particularly immigrant students who may or have to be figuring things out themselves or might be in the position of sending money back, you know, in the very near future. Just with all of that in mind, if they're listening right now, um, what would you have them to, you know, pay attention to, you know, particularly? Oh, my gosh, that's a really good question because it's still so, like, raw to me. Like, I still remember a lot from especially like when I just graduated like the feelings that I had um because I felt like I had a lot of responsibilities and I didn't know how I was gonna do it all so I'd say like it's never too late to implement goals or changes for your financial future it doesn't take as long as you think it's gonna take like it took me eight years to accumulate my debt and I'm going to pay it off in less than three years. Right. So in the grand scheme of things, I do want to encourage people to not be afraid to confront the feelings that they have and their relationship with their money. Because at the end of the day, it's you and your bank account. 
<laughs> like, when you go to bed, what feelings come up for you? Like, are you worried about your dad? Are you, like, anxious about your investments? And why is that? And what can you do to hedge that? So for me, I'm pretty sure I had all that anxiety because I didn't have an emergency fund, right? Now that I know, okay, you have some money set aside in case of emergencies, I definitely sleep a lot better. So I'd say like, it's really difficult to, um, I don't like to give people like tips in the sense of like, you need to save $5,000 by such and such a date because I find that that's not very inclusive advice because when I had minus in the bank account and someone was telling me, you just need to save three to six months worth in an emergency fund. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that with where, I, where I'm at right now. So with that being said, start small. Like if I had just put aside $10 from each paycheck that I got, even though it had places to go, I need to do the calculations, but I'm pretty sure I would have had by now, I would have had an emergency fund way earlier than I did. So starting small is really important. So when I started saving, I was doing $10. That's what I could do. And when I could increase it, I kept increasing it, right? Um, And then something else too is like, We've spoken about it, but talking to someone about it is really important. Like, don't suffer in silence, especially us, you know, the immigrants that are here. Most of us were here alone, right? So sometimes you just feel more inclined to keep everything to yourself, but it doesn't serve you. And you never know how someone else can help you. Like, for example, when I was, when I did confide in a friend of mine that, you know, I just did not have enough money to make ends meet um, for my birthday that year. She took me to the grocery store. And at the time, I was like, wow, I really needed that. And it might sound so simple to someone else, but that freedom of being like, yo, pick whatever you want. I got you. I never would have experienced that if it wasn't for that friend who I opened up to. Um, and as an international student as well, use the resources that are on your campus or maybe your embassy. Sometimes they're not as helpful, but you have to like exhaust all your resources. Like I was that person who was emailing everyone who I could asking for help. And when I got over those emotions that come with asking for help, because I was like, oh, this is embarrassing, or this is like, I felt sometimes shame, but at the same time, I ended up finding the food bank, for example. And that's where I got most of my groceries um, in university. And so I was fed, I was able to have the energy to go to school and go to work and balance all those things. So I definitely say tap into your resources as well and just show yourself some grace because like I used to punish myself a lot when I started working where I was like, okay, you can't have any, you know, fun money. Like you have bills, you have debt, you have goals. And what would happen is I would end up end up binge spending. And that's what happens when you restrict yourself, right? It's like any diet, you need to have balance. So I'd say even if you have a lot of responsibilities and you're not making enough money or you feel like you want more income, don't be afraid to plan for fun. And even if it is like, you just have to find like what you like to do. So if you like to go to concerts, for example, which I do, I'll say to myself, okay, you can get one concert a month, but you're going to have to skip out on Uber Eats. And that's okay because I can cook from home. I don't mind that. So when I connect to things that bring me joy and I spend on those things, everything else falls into place. Mm. Mm. Okay, well, so I was just dropping gems right now, man. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you so much. I hope um, so. 
No, I, I do. I mean, I, I, you know, with this podcast thing, um, I do appreciate honesty and just that rawness of your truth. And I do feel that people connect to that. I mean, at the very least, I connect to that. So I know that there's going to be a whole bunch of other people that do. And especially, like you said, talking about it, being open and sharing with it is so important. Um, okay, so I want to jump into one last, just one last quick thing before I get your final thoughts. Sure. Um, you know, so you, we, we talked about just what it looks like for the Black experience on a personal level, you know, trying and setting boundaries. We've got into it about with student depth as well, overcoming that, um, um, the shame that comes with all of that. But what about people like, you know, these days, everybody is some sort of an entrepreneur mm -hmm. or business owner, right? They're you know, working, hustling for a little thing, a little side project, that kind of thing. I mean, here I am doing the same thing right now. Right. Um, what would your advice be for people, you know, who are particularly, you know, maybe small business owners or entrepreneurs selling or moving their products? How do you, you know, approach discussing with them about their personal finances? That's such an important topic to me because I worked with a small business owner from about 2017 and she hired me as her virtual assistant at the time and I had no idea what that was like I was like sure let's go let's do this and having tapped into that I found like a whole other world of work that you can do online and that really helped me. Like that's what paid for my permanent residence fees, my, mm. you know, those, those irregular unexpected expenses. That's a right. huge, significant. Yeah, <laughs> right. Those are huge areas that people don't talk about. Like another thing that I would tell students that have just graduated, start saving from, you know, the moment you get your first job, like, for things like your permanent residence fees or your citizenship fees, right? And that is the advantage of following people who are, you know, in similar circumstances than you because a lot of people reach out to me and be like, I never thought of that. That is so helpful. And I'm like, yeah, it's because I went through that where I was like, oh, I've been following what people are saying and then you get that bill and you're like, oh, wow, I just got to bring out $1,000 from where, you know? So I think in terms of like small businesses and entrepreneurs, like I think first, because I'm focused on making sure people understand the connection between their mental health and their money, it's understanding that like your self-worth is not tied to your net worth. So even though you might be facing challenges in your business, especially when you're just starting Sometimes the balance sheet is not balancing and a lot of money, you're pouring a lot of money into your business sometimes, a lot of time into your business. Don't forget to take care of yourself. Like rest mm. is just as important as, you know, how much money you have in your bank account. Because if you're pouring into all these other areas of your life, but you're not pouring into yourself, it's really difficult to show up. So like, I'm really careful about promoting hustle culture because I think mm. not even just for black people, I think millennials in general, we have that mentality, like turn everything into a side hustle, turn your passions into a side hustle, monetize this, monetize that, which is fine. More income is definitely always good, but it's also about assessing, like, are you in the right mental space to even be doing that in the first place? And does it bring you joy? You know, and I think sometimes when you tap into those things, that, like, abundance mindset does come in. So, oh. for example, with me, when I started writing about money, I didn't know that it would become a side hustle. But I was like, okay, there is interest in this. Let me nurture it. Let me build connections. Let me pitch myself to make that extra income, it's not going to hurt. Um, but if I'm tired, like if I'm not able to do it, I have to take a step back because I still do have a full-time job, you know, and I have to remind myself. And to be honest with you, I didn't know any of this before 2021. I started going to therapy and that's when like my therapist basically helped me realize that I 
was overworking myself to the point of like, she just asked me something so simple. She was like, okay, you're making all of this money, but you can't even enjoy it because you are physically ill. Like, you know? And I was like, mm. true. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I had to take a step back from that and just incorporate more self-care. Um, but it is good to be able to have multiple streams of income. We know that. So if you do have a hobby or an interest that you're able to monetize within reason, obviously go for it. And I think right now with the pandemic, the gig economy has just been, you know, people have been seeing a lot of success, mm -hmm. but don't forget about you in the process because you're the one who's going to have to run that business. So also invest in your well-being on the journey. And as much as you can, don't forget to reach out for help and communicate your needs to other people. Um, I think as well, when it comes to entrepreneurship, sometimes you also have to weigh the pros and cons. Like you have to say to yourself, okay, I need to invest in my business, but I don't even have an emergency fund, for example. So sometimes you have to, if you can't do both, you have to pick what is like right at that stage like what is the priority and realize that the journey is not linear like it's really like entrepreneurs I take my hats off like honestly it's not as easy as the internet makes it seem there's so many not things that go into it so definitely lean into your community as well if you have other podcasters or other people that you know are interested in doing the same thing like have a zoom over like have a coffee date or something or have like talk to other entrepreneurs about what they're going through and in a way you can also learn from their mistakes and also share your story and see how you can help each other last bit before i let you go um is so we like to do this thing on the podcast uh where i get your two takes now it could either be two takes on the same topic you know the key major points but it's after we've gone through all the things that we talked about in this conversation um i'm more interested now in what exactly our final thoughts for people to to leave people with mm -hmm. right um, one of the things I was thinking about was what are you excited for with regard to opportunities and the tools that can help people manage their money, particularly, you know, black people, immigrants, um, students, you know, what do you feel like uh, is out there for them to take advantage of? You already talked a lot about communication, setting boundaries, you know, thinking about certain things that are going to come up, planning ahead. Um but what would you say, uh, you know, what, what do you feel like is the best tool out there right now to help, you know, the people that we've discussed plan and manage their finances, at least to the best of their ability? Right. So I'm excited about helping people improve their relationship with their money. Like, it's not always about how much more money you can make or how much um, more hours you can work to make more money. Like sometimes it's just about sitting with yourself and asking yourself very simple questions about why you want to make more money, why you want to save, why you want to invest. Because the relationship that you have with your money is probably one of the most important ones. And as you know, we all get older as well, it's like you're going to have to start thinking about your partner's relationship with money and then how if you want to have children how you are going to how they're going to have their own relationship with money so for me like the greatest tool really is yourself 
asking yourself what you are excited about, what you want to do with your money, and then creating goals based off of that and not what other people are doing necessarily. Mm. Like it's definitely helpful. And I definitely have learned a lot from people around me. But at the end of the day, you have to sit with that and ask yourself, okay, what am I going to do with this information? And social media, I know it gets a bad rep, but there are people doing some seriously amazing work on there right now in the personal finance space. And there's someone for everyone. So just because you might not have found your person yet, I can guarantee you there's someone out there who's talking about money in ways that you never even thought about. So like, for example, like I said, that Wall Street Trapper, I do, how do you even come up with that? (laughs) I wish I had come up with that. Are you kidding me? So it's like, connect to your values and go from there and use the resources that are already there. So you don't just have to go to this first bank that you see when you land in Canada. I, my bank, I had it because it was on campus. That was the first bank that was there. And I've since left that bank because I've found better places, right? So Mm. I think use the internet in that way, the same way when you're looking for fitness inspiration or you're looking for travel um, inspiration, there are personal finance accounts that are doing the exact same thing, but for your money. So obviously, I mean, follow me. (laughs) (laughs) because that's what I'm trying to do. But there are even more people out there who are doing, who are doing amazing work. Zah, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for sharing your story and, you know, just giving people, I think, something to work with, an honest space, hopefully a safe space to talk and hear about their finances and hopefully they can take something very powerful away from this i hope so thank too. you so much thank you yeah no i'm, I'm sure they will I'm, <laughs> sure, I'm sure they will honestly so thank you you're welcome thanks so much And that's another episode. Big thanks to Za for coming through and sharing her story. Really, really appreciate that. You can check her out on Instagram at ZaKnows. Or you can check her her website at ZandileChiwanza.com. There's some really good stuff in there. I think she just recently wrote for the Global Mail. So go check that out as well. Okay, so here's my take. Black tax feels more like, I don't know, an immigrant tax or the tax for those of us who do not have the same financial support as some of our peers. My impression is that everyone has some sort of bill to pay or tax to pay. Um, Unfortunately, due to institutional racism and exploitation of African resources, that has set black people back significantly. And like Zaz said, we do not have that 100-year foundation to take advantage of. I think the culture and communication around money is what will ultimately make a difference and give us a legitimate chance at continuing to reinforce our own foundation. So I feel like if we're not doing that or we're not focusing on that, then we're just going to repeat the same cycles as we always have. But yeah, that's my take. What's yours? You can share your feedback by writing to two takes on a pod at gmail.com. If that's a problem, Follow me on social media at Two Takes on a Pod on Twitter and Instagram, especially Instagram. I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. You can find this wherever you find podcasts. And while you're there, show some love and give this five stars. Why not? This has been Two Takes on a Pod. Thank you for listening. Peace. Cash up, cash out, only maga, villa, small money, ball out, who send boats, run up, you get the shock lights, lock up, if you no get money, leave up, yes, it's simple, japa, show me sissies, load up, cash
cash up, cash out, only maga, bill up, small money, fall out, who's in boats, run up, you get the shock lines, lock up.